everybody. I'm Marianne Katsidis, and this is the Heart-Led Changemaker podcast. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone where it felt so juicy and inspired that it left you feeling energized and ready to take on the world? There have been countless times I wished I could have recorded conversations like that because it felt criminal that no one else got to hear or experience that feeling. Those conversations ignite something inside of you because you visualize a new way to connect with others and sometimes even a new world. This show will provide you with ways to stay focused on the future, some food for thought, new ideas and concepts, a way to create abundance ethically, a showcase of those already doing the work and succeeding, and a sense of connection. Being a change maker can be very lonely, so this will serve as a community for heart-led warriors. Sit back and let this high-vibe, heartfelt conversation light you up. Today's guest is Alan Maingard, with 40 years covering commercial management and people management in corporate sectors. He followed the path of self-healing and as a result is now a kinesiologist helping and healing others. Alan, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Marianne. Pleasure to be here. Although we work together in the corporate sector for many, many years, would you agree that it was kinesiology that brought us together? I think ultimately, yes. And we know from the experience that we had that kinesiology was going on in the background uh, when we were working together. And I think as our relationship was very much in its infant stages, and there was a lot going on for both of us and some shared experiences. And I think that's really what brought us together. But indirectly, kinesiology was just hanging there waiting to for some association. And I'll never forget that day that I just happened to have a business card of a kinesiologist that got us both on the track and sliding that across your desk. <laughs> and just saying, I think you might need this. And I'm not even sure I was trying to think in the lead up to this podcast that had I actually been for kinesiology, I'm not sure that I had. I think I went after. Yes, you did. So my beautiful wife had been going and she was you know the uh you know why don't you go and do this because at that time there was a lot of stress going on in both our lives so it was certainly the start of the next level wasn't it I think you'd agree yeah for sure I mean I I feel like we went we went from combat to comrades you know like you know in um working in that telco it was encouraging competitiveness with your peers for performance and and driving all of that but you know I had hit rock bottom and I was at my absolute worst and that you showed so much kindness and compassion by reaching out to me and sliding that business card over on my desk and said I think maybe you you need to go see this lady my wife goes and I didn't know anything about kinesiology all I knew was I couldn't continue on feeling the way that I was feeling and I felt so overwhelmed and I felt so stressed and I was a broken shell you know there was nothing really left of me uh, when that card slid over but it really was the turning point for so many things Mm. 
And even now I look back and that that really is one of the greatest gifts of my life, a hundred percent. And it was the beginning of, yeah, so many awesome things to come. Yeah. But I find it fascinating that people still don't know what kinesiology is. Mm. For our audience who don't know, can you explain yep. it in a little bit more detail? Yes, well, I was um, on Sunday. We were at a birthday occasion of a dear friend of mine that I actually have dabbled a little bit with kinesiology with them, but I met some new people that I hadn't met. And, I, you know, it's just amazing how it comes up that they'll either talk about themselves or talk about someone in their life, their family usually, and in it drops into the conversation. So, this particular, I suppose, just to give a bit of a framework of kinesiology, it helps with a real live example. So this particular person, their daughter, it's very stressed, grinding teeth, going to uni, juggling a whole lot of things in their life, 19 years old. So I just went, oh, maybe they need some kinesiology. And in doing that, it was discussing what it is and what it means. I mean, I followed up with a bit more stuff in writing, but I think the best way that I sort of described it was that I had been in a similar sort of circumstance more out of years of life and uh, work experiences that were really the tipping point. Uh, So kinesiology for me is about really getting to the root cause of issues and finding my drive and experiences, really finding out what that root cause is and then being able to open up that can of worms, peel off the layers and help clients get to the bottom of those issues and release them for good. I think the experiences stay with us for the rest of our lives, but you don't have to feel the same way about those experiences. So everyone that I've worked with, that's really where we go. And the hardest point at some stage, well, in the early stages, is really getting to that root cause and the driver for coming in the door. Why are you here? That's hard because as humans, and as you know, we just suppress so much stuff. But for me, it didn't take much for me to open up when I had the experience. So I sort of draw on so much experience to sort of go, what's the driver and and what can we do about it? And what's the root cause and what are the core? Um, how did you get there and how can we lead you out of it? So for me, it's a very gentle, well, can be more than gentle, but it's a gentle way of opening our souls and our brains up to history that we've stored and some of it's good, some of it's bad. And how can we change that balance so that we're not living with the bad history? And just that power of being able to instill in people that confidence that they can do this themselves, because really it's about the ownership of the problem is yours. How can we shift it out of your life and the people around you? For sure. I I mean, I describe it as clearing sabotage programs that are sitting in the subconscious. And and it's a way to tap into the sort of the deeper part of you that you can't Mm -hmm. get to on a conscious level. Because sometimes you can say, you know, I really want to be successful, but in your subconscious, the brain is saying, uh-uh, you don't deserve yeah. that. You're not worthy of that. You you know, you're, you know, what about all these times that you did, you know, these not so perceived great things, you know, your body, yeah. your brain starts to pull those things apart. Yeah. But bringing the subconscious brain and the conscious brain in alignment is mm. how you make that massive transformation. And the thing I love about kinesiology, obviously, you know, that I'm a kinesiologist too. I'm not practicing now, but there are lots of different types of kinesiology. I know from experience when I've had a session with you, that was a completely different experience than the way that I had been trained and also how I taught clients as well and students too. So even in 
your opinion, despite the different modalities with kinesiology, do you feel like the intention and the outcome is the same? Yes, exactly. Perfectly aligned. Uh, what I was going to add then was that in my plan, and we'll probably cover that off a little bit during the, this session, was that I ended up attracting some children, parents and children, but mainly young kids. And it really wasn't in my business plan uh, <laughs> to work with children. I really wanted to be, I really wanted to draw males into the into kinesiology, which I have, but the surprise was to get children. And there was this two specific age bands that came, have come along more than once, seven-year-olds and 11-year-olds. So I found that fascinating in the fact that their subconscious and their history is so limited and the joy that you get out of being able to work with a child and set them up for the rest of their life or even just the next stages is just fantastic because they've got nothing. There's nothing apart from past life stuff. There's nothing that they've really built up from any really bad experiences. So their cups are only about half a quarter full of things that they want to, you know, and it's usually just feedback and where do I fit in in life and all that sort of stuff. So the reward out of that is being able to go, okay, being so young, the next stage of your life is going to be fantastic. So there's age differences that are just fascinating. And, and like you were saying about the differences in modalities, the fun things that you can bring into kinesiology as well, the kids can see while they're in a session is just incredible. I mean, the adults love it too, but the kids just think it's magical. So, I mean, of course, imagine having had the opportunity. I look back at my history, what a change that would have been had yeah. I had kinesiology as a child yeah. and, and how different all the choices that are made, that all, all of those choices would have been completely different, polar apart different. Oh, yeah, and totally. it's a gift that parents can give their kids, definitely, because mm. you're you're giving them that freedom. You're giving them that permission mm. to be free from then, not, yeah. not waiting their whole life to figure out who they are. Yeah. And it's so much harder to undo as an adult, as you know, yeah. because we collect experiences on experiences on experiences right. that reinforce all the other experiences. That's so right. it becomes this tangled web. Yeah. And, you know, let's not even start on the way that the male and the female brain work they're yeah. two completely you know yeah. mechanically different as well but yeah. i mean what a what a life those kids have mm. ahead of them knowing who they are and mm. being content yeah. in who they are and it's who they are and where they fit in their lives and it, usually it's a sibling thing well a lot of it's parental stuff as well so if you can somehow have a little word with the parents at the same time <laughs> Uh, and I tend to, with children, I tend to do a lot of the education with them as a family unit. So sometimes I've had the whole family in here and that's a bit tricky. But what you can pull out of a family unit is extraordinary because they're all part of the story. And they've also led the children to that point in their lives where they're struggling with some issue. So sometimes it could be learning, it could be sport, it could be a teacher, it could be other kids, where they fit in, where they fit in with the younger and an older sibling, or if they're at the top, what do I do with my younger ones? If I'm at the bottom, what do I do with the older ones? So it's that part's been really fantastic, even though I don't, I've never sought out the children thing. They've just come, well, everybody comes because they're meant to come, but I never really chased the younger client. 
has been really, really uh, enjoyable. And I think for me as a kinesiologist, I look back at when I was a kid, around about the same age, and it really, so many of my issues that got cleared came from that same age band. And yet I didn't go into kinesiology till I was over 50. So, and I suppose that's the message really through this medium is that you can have things that are still bad triggers in your childhood that you can then sort out many, many, many years later. And like you were saying, the choice thing, if I'd had kinesiology much earlier, I, w- I definitely would have chosen different directions for sure. That sometimes the key thing that's stopping you is part of what you need to clear. Absolutely. So, what part of their journey do clients tend to start to see you? I'm finding there's that midpoint in life. So you'd probably get into your 30s and early 40s and they go, what the hell? What am I doing? (laughs) It's usually the usual focus is career. And it's interesting you were talking about the sorts of clients and the different sort of kinesiology we do. So I've never really attracted relationship type stories. So no one's come in here and God, I've had a breakup and blah, blah, blah. It's more... (laughs) It's more involved around work and family than the relationship side of things. So, and that for me is such a direct correlation with my experience. So, yes, the quicker I can sort of draw in and do parallel chats with clients, it, it's great because you get to the point, you get to healing a lot quicker. So, it's usually midpoint life, and a few guys that you know have that crisis at that point, they've got young families mortgages, a career that they may or may not be happy with. So I love getting in at that point and going, you can actually change, you know, and it's sort of like, mm, how, you know, so much risk involved, but 99% of them do change within yeah. a very, very short time of having some kinesiology. They just, something happens and they, they take a leap of faith. So it's fantastic. Yes. Doesn't and, mean, and, doesn't yeah. mean you've finished with them, but... <laughs> But it's usually that diving board that they're on the end of. I suppose if you're going to use an analogy in there, they're at the deep end of the pool. Where do I go? How do I swim to the other end? Yes. And I think uh, as therapists, we tend to draw in and attract clients who are, you know, have been on this, like they're on the same journey that you were on or are on, have been on, whatever, but they tend to mimic your history. Because I know for me, I really had clients coming at me to talk to me about the career side of things. Everything Mm -hmm. was around relationships. Yeah. And that was my thing too, you know, that my healing all of the kinesiology I've had for the most part, none of it has been around career really because there's been like stems of it that that have come off because as I've grown, I've gotten to know, you know, deeper parts of myself. So then there's more expression, Mm. but mostly it's been around relationships. I agree 100% because usually at the end of the day, when they're presenting a career choice or next steps, what's the root cause though? Yes. For me, in the end, my root cause was my relationship with my dad. So it was, you know, which was such a surprise to me because I had a great relationship with my dad all my life, but he was the problem. So it's really fascinating. So that that's really your driver as a, as a, a practitioner is to go, yes, you're talking about career here, but where's that come from? And also my experience was about learning and trying new things. So when... I was awakened during a session, my own kinesiology sessions to study kinesiology, then I had to cross the bridges of learning 
And I really struggled early days to be an adult learner again because it brought up past experiences when I was a child of not so good teachers that really didn't help that process. So, you know, I think in talking about kinesiology in general, you can sort of go back so far and find little things in your experiences in your life that have, be it relationship or be it work or be it school, that have really not helped you develop as a, fully as the person that you really should be or could be. So I, I look at it as so much potential blossoming to go, well, really, if you're not on that right path, what is your path? And it could be totally left to field. So, and because my issues were with my dad, I was just living his expectations the whole time, being corporate. And I, I never, it was never my intention to spend 40 odd years in corporate organisations, never. So to then become a kinesiologist was just like, oh, okay. I didn't know that even existed. So it really opened a whole new world for me personally. So to then make that connection with my clients and sort of go, so you're here at this point in your life. Here's the driver for coming here. What is it that you really want? What's your goal? What's your that that's probably the the key purpose of kinesiology is just to find out what you really want to do. Like yeah, where yes. are you? Yes, and who you are. You know, who what you do are, you want to do yeah. and what do you want and who are you? Yep. Those two things, kinesiology, it's it's almost like a shortcut to getting to know yourself. Yeah. So you don't have to do it through a, a hundred other experiences. You can no. you can get right into the root of it yeah. and start the embodiment of that ASAP. Yep. And you can, you know, for me on a personal level, I was undoing a whole heap of trauma, a great deal of trauma, not just from the relationship I was in, but throughout my history and my childhood too. So it was like things were happening in tandem. I was getting to know myself and healing at the same time and, and doing the repair side, learning yeah. more about myself and healing more and more. And it was it was that yin-yang between the two, you yeah. know, just moving me across further and further, deeper and deeper, mm. you know, underneath all that junk. And now, you know, I think for our whole lives, we're going to be discovering who we are mm. and learning new parts of ourselves and and giving ourselves permission to express ourselves more and more. But the healing aspect, that deep healing, that work has come to a close now, yes. an official close, if you will. Yes. So that yes. old junk is done and dusted. There might be uh, the occasional thing that, you know, creeps in as remembering and that's fine but that that intensity that initial intensity is kind of tough to face at the beginning and yeah. my question to you is when clients come to see you for the first time and I'm, I'm sure you're going to say exactly how I feel too but when clients come to see you for the first time and they've got you know the, this one issue whether it's you know work or relationships or you know whatever it is health do you feel like setting the expectations at the beginning is critical because oh. they think that it's like a one and done session yes some some do i think in my when we are initially touching base and you know i sort of give them a bit of information not over rarely over the phone so it's usually written um and fill in a form and all that sort of stuff i usually set the tone that it's going to be more than one and then when they come and you drill down on the what the issue or what you where you think the issue lies or issues lie 
I think with experience now that you sort of can get to the point where you think you can reach that point with them in the first half hour that you think you can see that they know that what they came in for is not exactly where we're going to go because (laughs) just through that initial questioning that you think this is going to take at least three or four sessions and some people have been coming for years you know I've had repeat you know they might be a gap a reasonable gap between between sessions for whatever reason but usually that's explainable as well but they keep coming back and you think okay so and some you haven't really got to the bottom you know you've gone close but I can usually tell that I haven't got there. So, but they're curious enough and they want enough to heal more than what they've already had. So it's been probably the rarest client that has, you know, I mean, I've had clients that come in with nothing and have put the big wall up straight away and we've really achieved zero. But it's really on the rare occasion that I've had someone that didn't realise that it would be there. I, I think when you actually take the step and you know this from your own experience and I know it from mine and you've had that first session, you just, you are hungry for more. You want more. That that was, I, I still remember my first kinesiology session and the ones that I had, the balances I had when I was learning kinesiology that was so powerful that you are just an addict, but then you also know when you've crossed some bridges and you think, okay, like you were saying about the battle has been won. So we've gone to into the trenches and pulled some major stuff out. So you sort of know when you've achieved something as a client. So I like to sort of set it up that, you know, not just for business sake, but it'd be a miracle if you really can do this in one. Oh, I mean, for me, it was the good part of 10 years. It was like I was relentless with my self-development and my healing. And I needed to be because I needed to shift it. But there does come a point, and and I think that there's there's a fine line in you get to a point where that that's enough like excavating it, that's enough of the past now you do need to do a big piece of it but then yep. it comes to okay that is enough let's focus on what you know the future that we're building the life that's coming what Correct. what are the pathways for all of that and opening up to that so it's it's less intense it's yep. still it is still um, significant that transformation is still significant but it isn't as intense and I think I found that when clients came to see me they were quite distressed they were almost all of them were on the back end of a narcissistic and abusive relationship of course mimicking my experience too and because of my experience I was very honest and forthright about the fact that this was there was no silver bullet there was it was not it was definitely not a one and done but it wasn't going to be forever either and you know working together we would if they were disciplined we would be able to move through that pretty quickly and they were and it was it was you know there were miracles left and right and you know all of them are in relationships healthy relationships now and it's I'm so proud of that you know that that is a gift to see your clients receive that but the the future creating is one of the things I love about kinesiology opening up to removing the limitations that you have around finances and abundance and and your self-expression that that's been such a big part and I think a lot of people just want that kind of freedom they want to be free to just be who they are and you can tell that in conversations I know you and I both Sometimes we've been together when we've seen people have those physical reactions when, 
you know, we've seen them and, you know, we are communicating in a way where, you know, we're saying to the other person, you know, you're amazing. Oh, my God. Like, look at these beautiful creations and you can feel them squirming on the inside because they don't own that aspect of themselves. And what I love about kinesiology is that there are some really good tools that you can use to get clients comfortable receiving because there are a lot of people, empaths in particular, who are prone to just overgiving, giving, 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 and not receiving. And it's a form of protection. And so giving your clients permission to transform in that way is mm. it really is a gift. Yeah. I think the other beautiful thing like you touched on was the there's endless um what they call corrections, but there's endless tools in the toolkit with kinesiology that you display on when they're here on the table. Um, but also the things that you can give them as takeaways that I I just love. And I really, early days, you know, I suppose just harking back to the number of sessions, I was really, when I first started, I was really reluctant to rebook people. I just thought, oh, I'll leave it to you sort of thing. And then I went, then I must have had an epiphany myself. And I thought that is so ridiculous. Like, so I started recontacting people, but I'd also then got to the point where I, book them straight away. So at the end of the session, I said, I think you need X. So that was all part of my development too, to go be more assertive, be more affirming, but also why? Like, why do I think that they need more back to the point of, you know, one and done sort of thing? I think I was the victim of that cage where I'd sort of go, <laughs> oh, I think it's one and done. But then when you can build that relationship and just a little bit of long-term benefits and uh, you've got so much more to give, but that comes with confidence and all that sort of thing. I think for me, the biggest step was to be better at it and to launch into it was to rid myself of other people's expectations. And I had that my whole life from my dad. But then when I went into corporate, I just fell straight into what do you expect of me? And even managers would say those words and I'd sort of cringe going, oh my God, I'm adding all <laughs> weights to my backpack of expectations that I'm disappointing people. Yeah. And until I shifted that, that was probably my biggest one. Then I could concentrate on what was next educational things, learning, allowing. I think you mentioned it was giving yourself permission to do something new, something else. What else is there in this being that I can do? And I'd never given myself permission to even learn, to do adult learning. So, you know, it was just that weight of expectation that had to be shifted. And you certainly know when that's gone and you almost become cheeky. And I don't want to say arrogant because that's not a great word. No, it's a playfulness. There's a playfulness. Yep. And I remember going back to my work and I was still working when I was learning and started my practice and the changes I could bring to my work people um, and my teams we used to switch on every day we'd go I'd go right you know you know luckily I had the ability with the group that I was groups that I was working with that they weren't tied to phones and things like that so I'd go five minutes in a room and they absolutely loved it and even through doing little things like that people moved on in the workplace so I could apply the tools that I had in their personal development programs and their their PDR reviews and all that sort of thing and go, well, what's next for you? Rather than pedestrian style corporate. Leadership. 
yeah. for leadership, which really did not inspire me at all. I thought, well, how can I apply what I now know to people that I work with so that they can go off and do bigger and better things, whether that's within the organisations or outside. And some of those success stories were incredible. And they never came in here. <laughs> yeah, they didn't need to. I didn't need to because you, you know, be it a workplace or be it family or friends, I think once I could feel confident in all the stuff that I had inside me in my subconscious and being able to spread that techniques and messages and how to change your dialogue and all that sort of stuff was just so empowering. Absolutely. It's really amazing how our internal programs and those that sit in our subconscious drive our destructive behavior, in particular, that of perfectionism. And I know you and I have have both been in that mode. And that was probably when we were in combat because we weren't understanding, you know, you were trying to be perfect in the workplace. I was trying to be perfect in the workplace and we were driving ourselves and each other crazy. And I mean, we were both winning awards and we were successful because of it. But internally, though, it is very self-destructive. It is. Why do you think that starts? For me, it was always expectations. And I know I've sort of already mentioned it in this podcast, but uh, it was my dad all along said, (laughs) uh, and he was a very, you know, his story is incredible. And, you know, as you know, I still love telling that story and I love backtracking my family history and his history. I just love it. And I think from him, I learned so much about organisation and perfectionism. And his life, he started with a learning disorder. And I didn't realise that till quite late in his life. And then I, it was like an opportunity for me to go, oh, okay, so many things now make sense as to his behaviours. The fact that he up and left his family on his own and also that love led the way as well. You know, there's just so much to that story. I think a lot of the perfectionism came out of other workplaces where I work, where I worked with doing things right the first time and so many ethos from lots of leaders that I really admired at the time that drummed in and my jobs were, some early jobs were all about you cannot make mistakes, you just can't. And the way I then developed people that worked for me was, you know, I'd make a big deal about them getting things wrong. But that's that was just me playing out what programs I had instilled in me for so long. And until you can release that, you know, you really don't move on. And my first, after my first kinesiology session, and you probably remember you used to get little yellow stickies that was your sort of take home (laughs) and she wrote on this wisdom is knowing when perfection is not required and I think I've still got it somewhere I kept it forever and I just went oh that's it you know that's that was and I was only just starting that was my first session and that was what the message she gave me and I thought when were we even talking about being perfect but I cannot tell you the number of times I've used that statement with clients and in life to go you know, wisdom's knowing when perfection's not required. And I went, and because the more you say things to yourself, firstly, and to other people, they start to realise, why do I have to be perfect? It's a tough one to break. I like uh, there's perfection in the imperfection, but I'm still challenged by it. I, I have very 
unrealistic high expectations of myself and I get very frustrated and hard on myself if I'm not achieving. A lot of that is behind closed doors. No one really sees the self-terrorizing, if you will. Um, And I I own that and I own that openly because it does happen. And a lot of the things that I do and the things that I have created, book writing, you you know, all the different, what you'd classify as successful things Mm -hmm. as a, you know, in in a career and as a human, but those things I've played it down. So it looks like it's just a really easy thing for me to do. But it isn't. None of the things that I've done has been easy. There has been a lot that goes on, like I said, in the background where it's like a relentless pursuit for this thing that I just am never going to reach. And I I too learned that as a kid. My my mum is you know, she she wants everything to be perfect and good. You know, that's the language she would use. I just want everything, yeah. everyone to be happy and well. But what she means is perfection. Yeah. And my dad, you know, his history, he came from quite an impoverished family and he vowed to himself that he would never have that life and he didn't want that life for his children. And as a result, we haven't. But I mm-hmm. saw him continue to strive for more and more. And so then that became the language. I looked up to him because I was inspired by the things that he was doing. So that part was good. But as a result, I also learned that when I would achieve something, you know, his response and and not intentionally harmful, but in his response, his way of encouraging was good. Now go do this. Now take it up a level. Now take it up a level. Now take it up a level. And yes, that can be very motivating. But for me, it felt like the benchmark kept moving and I wasn't enough. In my mind, somewhere that program started where it's not enough. So I, I have to do more. I have to be better. And, you know, they're both very proud of me and I know that and that's good. And we've spoken a lot about that together as a family, but that program still exists. That that, they don't, that doesn't exist with them anymore, but I'm now the keeper of that with my own self. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and as adults, yeah. And as adults, it's a very hard to break. It's a very mm. hard pattern to break. I think probably the hardest out of all of them. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And for me, and I know you're the same because we worked together for a while, that it just then moves into the career and the corporate and that's all you hear is great, what's next? Yeah, what's the next benchmark? When are you going to take it up a notch and take it up a notch, take it up a notch? And it is relentless. And I know my career was sort of divided into probably three sections because I started in retail, funnily enough, but I did people management really early in the retail environment, which is incredibly harsh. Well, it was <laughs> very harsh, very brutal. And I ended up managing my peers. So I was one of them and then I was managing them. And as a 19-year-old, 20-year-old, you're just crushed by the weight of expectation again. Like, how are you going to manage your peers? So then the rest of my career was not peer-based. So they were people that I really didn't know and I never had the jobs of the people that I managed. So it gave me a different sort of approach to go, okay, will you teach me as much as you know sort of thing? And I really wasn't that interested, but my approach was more about the people and steering right away from peer-based management. But the establishment of the levels of perfectionism were already in place 
So then the person that's going to beat themselves up the most is us and me. So you're going to go, okay, so you're getting told what's next. Then that's the internal dilemma is going, I I don't know what is next. How do I persecute myself more to get (laughs) to the next level? Till you realise that perfection is not required. Yes, till perfection is, that's right, till perfection is not required. Mm -hmm. And it isn't. No, and we're imperfect. And till you come to that realisation that we're beautifully imperfect, then so much more comes out. You actually go beyond the levels that you had set for yourself or other people have put in your head that that was the baseline. And I think it's incredibly delightful how far we can actually go without that burden, without that sitting in there going on next level and you just think it's not required because it's a blocker. It's a blocker. It's a stopper. It will halt development because you just are so focused on perfectionism that you're not going to go forward. And the old blinkers come on and you think if it's not perfect, (laughs) it's not on. Absolutely. I I had a a thought the other day that, this little gem started playing in my mind that what if the times that you're perceived imperfect is actually because that's what is in the highest good of the people around you? Yes, exactly. It is. Absolutely it is. And I was like, oh, my God, what a beautiful way of thinking about that. Because then it's actually got nothing to do with you. You're intuitively acting in a way, except for when it's a specific sabotage. But when you are thinking you didn't get it right or you didn't say it the right way or, you know, you felt like, you know, you weren't doing enough or being enough, most of the time that's actually in the high school of the people around you because then, one, they're getting the gift of being imperfect as well. And two, there's a beautiful vulnerability that comes with the letting go of being perfect. And and even personally, I think some of my best parts is the imperfection. I, I can be very naughty. You know, we've been friends for a really <laughs> long time. You've yeah. seen me at the height of self-destruction. You see me at like absolute play in a child play. You've seen the grief. You've seen all the different components. So I know that you've seen some of the good things and the not so good things. But regardless, that love and care is still there. And when we trust ourselves to be loved, being imperfect, and we get comfortable just being in that space, I think that's that's the big restrictor. And till you know that you've reached that level of trust that's a, I just call it big trust and people you can see clients or people that you talk to about trust and they just cringe and they go mm, yeah that is the big thing isn't it and I said but at the end of the day if you can be more yourself than what other people want you to be that's when you're going to take a step forward that's when you're going to feel the confidence and feel that as you were saying earlier to know yourself your true self I, I, I never had a problem with my true self but we're sort of probably different in that respect that I was always very aware and some of my life experiences were I opened my soul at a very young age so I you know when I think back and I think where were the holes they were really quite specific but as far as knowing what I had and knowing what I was capable of was from a very very young age but when you get trapped in a in the tunnel of expectation and where you put yourself. It's not till you can see the light at the end of that tunnel, build the trust back in yourself and be happily, blissfully imperfect 
then people start to see the real you. Then they also use that as a mirror on themselves and go, oh, maybe that's where I need to be is the real, what's the real me? Because as you know, being in corporate organisations, most of the people have a broken mirror. So they, they, they're probably more hell-bent because they're results-focused. So it's all about the dollar at the end of the day. Where's the real person? And I used to find it so exhilarating, whether it was people that worked for me or people that I worked for, that I could actually tap in and go, oh, there's a glimpse of the real you. And the joy that that brings is immeasurable. That yes. you go, oh, I've just tapped in. Okay. Anyway, back to work. Uh, <laughs> But you know what I mean? Like it's just, yeah. so for me, that was such a big driver in my business is going, well, who's the real, who's the person I've got here? Yes. What are they capable of? What do you think you're capable of? What's been your restrictions? What stopped you from being happy with imperfection? Yes. And I think that's one of the, the other beautiful gifts of, of our relationship and, and with Tracy as well, the two of you Right from the beginning, it, when I felt like, you know, my soul had left my body pretty much and there was nothing there, I I know that the two of you, oh, that's giving me the feels, um, the two of you actually saw who I was way, like years and years and years and years before I saw who I was and it is because I know that you have seen me, the true version of me, not not the the you you wanted me to be or to fit with you know any of the agendas or anything like that. You just accepted right. me as yep. I was with no question, and and you were okay with some of the shenanigans that I was doing and the, some of the wrong yep. turns that I made because you knew and trusted that I would find my way back, and I did. Yep. And, like, and um, when we and, got back together, I suppose after a bit of a hiatus that you kept saying, which I just love the expression and I use it a lot more now, is creating that space for someone. So, and I think for us and me personally was being able to uh, reciprocate that with you. So when you reached a point, different points at different stages, there was that ability natural and organic ability to share our experiences as well and go actually you may not have known this or something may happen in our lives that might be something to do with grief or something like a death or something like that so there's a different person that's receptive to that and you're either ready to be part of that journey with the person or you're not but something tells you somewhere along the line that I'm now Marianne's ready for I feel there's the capacity there that I can share this and get also get something back. Yes. Um, and for me, life's not about gales of justice or anything like that. It's very organic, very natural, but you're also wise enough to sort of go when the time is right, something guides you to say, now it's time to share. Yes. Because um, I, I had to go from that business card slide across my desk to the time that I moved to Melbourne, that was about 12 months. And so we didn't really have a lot of time in that bestie mode. And I wasn't really, I was a pretty much a mess during that first 12 months, especially. So uh, you certainly didn't get the best of me then. And then I moved to Melbourne and, you know, life sort of uh, took its own path there. And so our contact was less. It was there, but it was a lot less. Yes. And 
it wasn't until, you know, I was in lockdown when, you know, I reached out to you guys and, you know, we were conversing about our mutual opinion about things. And I I said that I was coming back to Adelaide and then, you know, things have kicked off again since then. And our, our relationship, I feel like I can pay forward some of the the things that I've learned and I can support both of you now in an equal capacity. And I know that it's not about scales, but it feels good to actually be able to be, you know, on the same page for, for the most part. There's there's yeah. no, you know, chaos creating. It's just, no, you know, no. it, it, it just life things that happen that we, you know, yeah. giggle and complain about, you know, but right. the... Um, <laughs> But I think the key is that you, and people don't always understand this because they're very measured in friendships and relationships and expectations. And we obviously felt safe in how it was for a period of time, in readiness for what was next, which was none of it was planned. So we weren't, I think we'd gone far enough in the journey and particularly your journey while you're away to do so much healing to then go, okay, now I'm ready for that. So yes, that's probably one thing that I'll sort of use a lot with my clients, I suppose, just to get back to that is go, when are you, you'll know when you're ready to change. Yes. Uh, you'll know when you, you'll know in your heart when you know that you can move say from a heart-led decisions to use your brain as well. So yeah. sometimes it's all one thing or the other. And I know one of the big shifts in my life was uh, to do with my mum and when she was ill and she had dementia in the end. So I was always very close to my mum and I had to grieve her having dementia. So it was almost like she, well, it, it, it does remove the person from your life, but my heart hurt before I could go, okay, things need to happen with my dad, things need to happen in their lives and our life to adjust to this massive change in the person to then shift, to not lose the heart, but to take the heartache away and yes. just go, now I can apply logic and uh, get things done driven by the heart, not not weighed down by the heartache. So of course, of course. You, if you know part, even part of that, you can have faith in your relationships like we did to go, okay, well, something will come at the end of this. And I think like you were hinting at before, the less stuff that you have that's bogging you down frees you up to then give more to the friendships and the relationships that really matter. Absolutely. I think that's been my experience a lot of times. But it doesn't also mean that you hang on blindly to everything. You might just, you do have then the strength to let some things go. Or, or set them free to go, well, if you know, the old expression, if you set them free and they come back, then it was meant to be. It's so true. But also accepting the fact that if you do set things free and they don't come back, that that's okay as well. Yes. Maybe the paths will cross back again and maybe they won't, but being okay with that. Because yeah. everyone, ultimately everyone is on their own journey and it's not, you can't force people to to heal and deal with no. their shit, if you will. A lot of people don't want to still, and that's fine. <laughs> but what about, what would be a useful way for our audience who are awake, who are aware, who have been doing some work, what would you recommend right now with the world being the way that it is? What's your recommendation? What's your tip for staying aligned? Um, I think the biggest tip still is the 
Uh, I used to use trust before everything got a bit messy over the last couple of years. And it was about trusting uh, not only yourself, but outside influences. So my biggest tip now is to come more inward and think about what does trust mean for you as an individual, rather than thinking of too much of a big picture that you have no control over. And you really have no control over anything ultimately anyway, but what are the steps and actions that you can actually take for yourself to stay grounded, to stay in your lane, but also to have the strength to have a voice and not get lost in the chaos and not get lost in the in the forest. That's probably my biggest one is because you used to be able to talk about bigger things and the, and the world is in such a flux at the moment that I think the key thing is to come back to you. How do you get up every day and what's your what's your day look like? How does that feel? But more about really you and maybe your immediate relationships, that the ones that really matter, that you can also spread that message. How do you trust yourself? And where do you fit into this mess without trying to think, how do I get out of it? How do I just approach tomorrow? How do I approach later today? Because one of the big things I always used was the uh, sort of like timeline thing, get people to reflect on their timeline and go, and when they haven't got the hope to say, well, you're here now, what's happening right now? This second, this second, this second, the next five seconds. So you're okay now, you're at 20 seconds. And it can sound really crazy when you sort of got someone face to face, but it's really just enforcing the fact that you're right here, right now, trusting that moment. And that's the the moment, the only moment that you have control over. Yes. How do I continue to feel that myself? So for me, it's about pushing, being aware of what's going on, but working, coming back to centre again, come back to the middle all the time. How do, what's next? What What's the next second look like? So it's really just about being very present because our brains will just run off elsewhere to think to the scope that we have no control over. And then we find that we don't spend a second thinking about ourselves and just living in that moment, journaling, whatever it is that you need to do. What's something, what's some thought, even breathing, you know, things pop up on your your feeds and it's, you know, breathe in for four seconds, hold it for seven, breathe out for eight, and you go, if you could just do that alone, let's do that now. That's really my message is, you know, take a breath, think about self, 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 self. Self, 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 self. Take a breath and trust. Trust yourself, trust your instincts. Yep. Absolutely. Now more than ever, because everyone's got a freaking opinion about everything. You know, even people who are, you know, awake and everyone's got their own version of what's going to happen next. And you could, you will drive yourself crazy, you know, and and a lot of people do want, you know, that savior to come in, that one person who's going to save it all. And that's not, that's not going to happen like that. That's ridiculous. No. You know, this is not a fantasy, no. but you can, by trusting your instincts and taking that action and, and really tapping in, take, focusing on your breath, doing that self-regulation, absolutely, I think that that's... Um, yeah, that's, that's and good... that's all it is. You know, I always say to people, I don't need you to write a book or start anything new. This is not anything like that. And I then I round back to what's happening right now. Even with what I've said, what's happening in your head now? Like, what does that mean to you? And it doesn't mean... You know, it doesn't always mean that that's an instant thing and you've got an answer to that question. I'm sort of educating on the fact that you don't always have that answer. You probably won't have that answer. 
but it's allowing the head space to open a little bit and to think about that point. And if it means just breathing and trusting, and maybe just a little bit of releasing of stuff that's, you know, around you that's constricting you, you know, how deep are you in the web? Just let that go, cut the ties, you know, all that sort of stuff. Without getting too complicated, I think there's so much going on that you want to just keep it as simple as possible. And, you know, some people sort of almost have a little chuckle and go, oh, breathing, but they're not breathing. In that moment, there's no movement in the chest. There's nothing (laughs) happening happening in the Everyone's Everyone's holding their breath and their stomachs are so tight. Yeah, and I've, yeah. I've found that even pre all the last few years that, you know, as soon as you get someone on a table, they're not, they're just not breathing. So I go, okay, let's just start with some breathing here. Like, yes. you know, you're not breathing. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't, we just don't. And yeah. I find that just for myself, as much as I've had such a fantastic journey of discovery, self-discovery, that there's moments where you need to be reminded to breathe. Absolutely. Which the way that comes in, you just go, okay, spend a month, you know, even then just drop the shoulders. And I just going back to last Sunday, I was talking to this woman and I could see a whole body shift in one, two sentences. It just went. And I thought, okay, well, that's, there's a little crack there. And we were talking about breathing and, and stress and all that sort of stuff. And I could just see her body relax because then they say, well, maybe I need to come. Go, yes. Okay. And you want to just say that all the time. Yes. Yes, you do. (laughs) Just lie down right now. Let's get it done. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Totally. Totally. Um, So so that's probably my biggest thing is that trust. Take a breath. Don't think about anything for a second. Or teach yourself how to reduce the thoughts that, you know, to be in the moment and just to be focused on breathing. Absolutely. It's a miracle. (laughs) It is a miracle. So I'll be sharing your information in the post and on our socials and so forth, but how can our audience connect with you? Um, Well, I'm on socials. I do have business pages. I tend to direct most through my personal Instagram or Facebook pages, and there's information on there, so both on Facebook and Insta. That's probably the best way. Excellent. And I'll probably find that over time I'll, reduce the business side of it because you just you know you don't really need it people if they want to reach out they'll come they'll find you and if it means that it's via personal pages personal social media that's fine that's the beauty of and that's what I love about the work that I do everyone has a different want and way to reach their audience mm. you know I, I you're if I said to you okay you need to post you know three times a day and not that I ever would and and have a website and 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 you'd go no freaking way mm. that's not going to happen and it doesn't need to be like that you no. know and there are lots of strategic things you can do to reach people that doesn't have to be cookie cutter at all so yeah. I love well, that I even though you've got the tools in place, I get most business from referrals. Yeah, of with course. Word of mouth, and then the next one comes. Yeah. Your uh, work speaks for itself. Or you, you know, there's often times where I think, oh, I haven't had, you know, I haven't been busy for a week or so. And as soon as I think that, some sort of contact happens. <laughs> it's just incredible because you almost go into, oh, what can I do with my time? And then there's the next client. So, yes. you know, it's wonderful how it works very um, organically and spiritually. Yes, of course it does. Everything so, is about that. But officially the um, socials are there. 
Yes. To reach out. Thank you so much for being on the show. You are a divine human being. I adore you. You know how much I love you and Tracy. You're my favorite people, my besties. And I, I've loved having this conversation with you. This is this feels like years and years overdue, but I didn't oh, have the podcast cool. then. Yeah, I know. It's a, yeah. It's incredible. And I'm just looking at the time going, oh, my God, how quickly the time goes. <laughs> You look in the first five minutes and you go, okay, there's 50 minutes to go. And next thing you go, oh, we're over. But anyway, that's the joy of it. It's been beautiful. Thank you so much. I'll see you soon. Yes, see you soon. Lots of love. 